As you can see, we're starting a new series tonight. Excited to get to open up God's Word with you. Kids, fifth grade and under, go ahead and make your way downstairs. If you're new with us this weekend, then you are free to accompany your kids down there so you can make sure that they're in a safe place. The rest of us, as we open up this new series, we're going to be looking in our Bibles to two places. If you would, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and also Romans chapter 6. These are the two places we're going to kind of bounce between these two sections in our Bible, so you can just mark your place in both. Last week, Dave ended a great series called Altered State as we looked at those aspects of our lives that we lay on the altar as we choose to follow Jesus, as we have a face-to-face encounter with him. And we recognize that that encounter requires us to lay some things down. And through that series, we also explored what it means to grow in our faith in those different phases, those different stages of our spiritual maturity. We finished up looking at our responsibility as spiritual parents to not only tell others about who Jesus is, but to lead them along and to help them discover what it means to live this life in Christ. As David celebrated uh, last weekend, we had Larry Hensley come forward and give his life to Jesus Christ, and he did that through baptism. It was a great celebration for us as we recognize that this is why we do what we do, that we would see people come to relationship through the waters of baptism and recognize Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And through that, that decision, our new life in Christ begins, and that's what this weekend represents. It represents us asking those important questions that come to our minds, not only when we start this new life, but all throughout this new life. Paul describes it this way there in Romans 6, beginning in verse 3. He says, all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In other words, to be baptized, that is to be fully immersed in the water as one who has made that decision for yourself, is representative of being buried with Christ and resurrected into this new life to live an entirely different way, to see the world through entirely different eyes. This goes right along with what we're doing this evening as we begin with this question, is it okay to... That question or some form of it is one that I've faced many times, not only as I've grown in my relationship with the Lord, but as a pastor, I'll usually have someone come up to me and say, ask me that question in some way. That person is my sister. That someone who comes up to me and asks me that question is my sister Heather. It may not always look like that. She may not begin with, is it okay to, but it might start with, should I? Or, hey, I I liked your sermon tonight. What did you mean by this? It's the same kind of thought process. And Ephesians 5.15 gives us the heart behind questions that begin in that way. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most out of every opportunity because the days are evil. The questioning the aspects of our lives that we once deemed as normal or usual and testing them against God's word is how we demonstrate that we are seeking to live careful lives, as Paul has told us here. 
that we're seeking to live lives that ultimately please God, that that becomes our purpose. Now, Heather will tell you that when she approaches me with that question, a lot of times I'll answer before she can even get the words out. She'll say, is it okay to? No, no, it's not okay to do that. Whatever it is you're getting ready to say, it's not okay to do that. Should I? Yes, you should probably do that. If it's coming to your mind, then you should probably do that. And I, and I say that kind of facetiously at one level, but at a deeper level, she's learned that the question itself is an indicator that God has already prompted her to make an adjustment in the way that she's been living or to take the next step in her spiritual growth as she matures in her faith. But regardless of the reason for why she asks the question or why any of us might ask the question, the very first place that we should seek it out, we should seek the answer out, is through God's word, which is what we're going to be doing with all of the questions throughout this series, is opening up God's word to see what he has to say about it. That should always, always be our primary source of information, that we should look to God's word first above all else. And today we're going to start with the broadest and most basic question with which every new believer will wrestle in some way or another, and that is, is it okay to keep living as I have? Is it okay to keep living in my, as I have? And in fact, I would argue that this isn't a question that is just for the new believer, but it's a question that will follow us throughout our entire Christian journey as we continually grow and mature in our faith, always seeking to increase in our understanding of who God is and what it is that he wants from us. And so just like we'll do with every question, we open up God's word, and we're going to look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. Paul writes, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Paul tells us that if you are in Christ, that is, if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, a Christian, whatever it is that we call it, then you are a completely new creation. Not only has something been changed about you, something entirely new has been created. And this is important because from the outside looking in, it's easy to believe that coming to faith in Christ results simply in a change of outward behavior, that it results simply in our actions being different from what they were. That's why Christianity is often seen from the outside as a works-based religion, because the world looks in and they say, man, they're doing really good things. They must think that if they do those really good things, then they'll go to heaven, or if they don't do these bad things, then they'll go to heaven. That's the idea that the world has about Christianity. The emphasis is on behavior modification. And unfortunately, there are even those within the church who believe that those behaviors are a requirement, that this is a works-based faith. 
But what Paul is describing is not just a change in our external behaviors or even simply an internal change of your old self, but a complete replacement of one thing with another. Something brand new has been added. Something has been created out of nothing. Something has been created that was not there before. That's what Paul is talking about. He says further in verse 18 that all of this is from God, meaning that we can't do it on our own. Now, if I try hard enough, there are behaviors maybe that I can change on my own, habits that I can maybe get rid of if I, if I really try hard. But God is the only one who has the ability to create something entirely new out of nothing, just as he did when he spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. It's the same kind of idea. God spoke, and out of nothing, something came to be. And when we become a new creation, this is what God has done. Something brand new has come to be. We, when we create, because God has given us the ability to create, we have to have raw materials to do that. But God is the one who creates the raw materials. And what he's done is he's created this new thing, this new life, this new material that we get to work with as we follow him. Not only that, but he is the only one who can take something that was once dead as you were before you believed and bring it to life in the same way that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Ephesians tells us that it's God's incomparably great power that is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That power that is in us, as Romans 8 states, in the form of the Holy Spirit. And understanding these two ideas is incredibly important for what we're trying to understand today. It's significant. It's significant that God has created something new out of nothing, and it's significant that God has raised something dead back to life. These are fundamental realities of our faith, and yet they're difficult a lot of times for us to wrap our minds around. And we find ourselves wondering, is this new, or am I the same old me? During the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States, the stories told of a Soviet fighter pilot who got in his jet and he flew out of Russia onto an American base in Japan to ask for asylum. He was received by the authorities there. He was debriefed. He was sent into the United States. He was given brand new credentials that made him not yet a U.S. citizen, but he was able to be in the country. And before long, he became a full citizen of the United States. On the outside, he seemed like the same person. He had the same personality, he spoke the same language at first, had the same habits, the same cultural upbringing. His past was the same, but a crucial aspect of his identity was forever changed. He was no longer a citizen of the country that he left, he was a citizen of a brand new country. His identity was that of a citizen of a brand new kingdom. And this is what happens to us when we become this new creation. We are raised from dead to life. At first, things may not seem very different. We don't come out of the baptismal water with a new personality. Our relationships struggles may still be there when we get home. They probably will be. Old habits will cling tightly. Ways of thinking will not easily be changed. 
Consider that we have been lied to our entire lives by the world and, and Satan, who is the temporary, has some temporary authority within this world. Think about how difficult it must have been for that pilot to give up all the things that he had been taught, all the things that weren't right, that weren't true about other people. And I'm positive that for him, there were moments early on and probably for long periods of time in which he didn't feel very much like an American citizen. And possibly in those moments, he would pull out that brand new passport and he would read the words over and over and over again. Citizen of the United States of America. Just to remind himself of who he was. For you and me, we need to understand that there will be times when we aren't going to feel like a new creation. While there may be and, and absolutely should be rejoicing as we, as we give our lives to Christ through baptism. And, and the word says that the whole host of heaven is rejoicing with us. And for a little while, we may ride that wave of the new joy, this new discovered joy in our salvation. A moment will come when you will wonder, Am I really a citizen of a new kingdom? Am I really a new creation? Do I really need to change the way I was living or can I even change the way that I was living? Is this even possible for me to do this? And it's in these moments that we pull out our passport and we read it. Because we read what God has for us, what he has to say about us who are a new creation. We look into God's word to learn the truth of what being a new creation really means, even if you're not feeling it in that moment. And there are three things out of God's word that I want us to look at tonight that remind you, that remind us of what it means for us to be this new creation, of what it means for us to be a citizen of a new kingdom. First and most importantly, being a new creation means that you have a new status before God. Your old self was an enemy of God, hostile towards him and his law and headed towards eternal damnation because of the rebellion that you've lived your entire life in. Philippians 3 describes it as being an enemy of the cross of Christ. Your destiny was destruction, your God was your stomach, your glory was your shame, and your mind was not set on heavenly things but was set on earthly things. Ephesians 2 describes it as being dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, who is Satan. This is where all of us once stood. This was our status before this holy and righteous God. This is how we stood before him. But by comparison, look at what Paul says if you turn back just a few chapters in Romans chapter 3 about those who believe. He says, righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Whereas our old selves stood hostile to God and his law, we stood condemned before him. Our new selves have been given righteousness and are freely justified. That means that we now stand before God innocent on all charges. The debt we once owed in our rebellion against God has been fully paid and the currency used was the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. That Jesus now stands as our legal 
representative. And when God looks at us, what he does not see is the old sin and rebellion, but he sees the righteousness and moral perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. That that's been given to us as a new creation. That's become our status in God. This is a single moment in time declaration in which your status before God is completely changed. Like that, in an instant, it's completely changed. In fact, not, are, not only are you no longer an enemy of God and hostile toward him as his ways and his laws, you are now described as one of his children. You're now described as one of his children, not a colleague, not an acquaintance, not someone whom God simply tolerates. And there are times, believe me, where I wonder if I'm someone that God is simply tolerating in this moment. We've all felt that. But we're described as one of his own children who are now endowed with the same inheritance that his only begotten and eldest son has received. The Christ is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and we are those brothers and sisters who share in this inheritance as children, as sons, as daughters of God. And just like an adopted child may not always feel like a son or daughter of his or her adoptive parents. This is a promise that has been given to us through God's word. And so we go back and we read it. We read the promise that God has for us because he's told us this, that if we are a new creation, if we are in Christ, then we are his children. We look back our Bibles over and over again to remind us of this great reality. So you have a new status. Secondly, being a new creation means that you have been freed from the dominion of sin. Your old self was a slave to sin, meaning that you could do nothing but serve it as your master. That every part of you was sinful all the time. You couldn't help but break God's commands. Even the good things that you did that were done outside of a relationship with God were sinful. That was the old you. But Romans 6, verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Anyone who is a new creation has been set free from sin. Now, I want to clarify something within this verse, because if I don't, then these verses can be devastating for someone who is especially brand new in the faith, that being set free from the dominion of sin doesn't mean that you won't ever sin again. To believe this way would destroy you right out of the gate the moment that you mess up, sometimes before you even get to bed that night after being baptized. So to believe that would, would destroy us and it would, it would wreck the faith and the promises that we've leaned in that have led us to that relationship with Jesus Christ. The reality is that there isn't a single Christian in this room who hasn't made a mistake. 1 John 1.8 says that if we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to lose your temper and say something that you're going to regret. You're going to do something out of a selfish motive. You're going to stumble over that habit. You're going to have an impure thought. You're going to try to withhold forgiveness when you've been hurt. And when you do, you are going to feel like a slave to sin again. You are going to feel like your old self again. 
And so you go back to God's word and you see what it says, that you have been set free from the dominion of sin. You are no longer a slave to it. And the question that I ask is if this is reality, if we are going to make mistakes and yet God's word says that we've been set free from the dominion of sin, then what does it mean for that to be the case? What does it mean if I'm still gonna make mistakes? Well, first it means that you've been freed from the penalty of sin, which is what we just talked about. That you no longer stand before God condemned because of your disobedience and your unrighteousness. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's what we've been given. So we've been set free from the wages of sin, which is death. But secondly, it means that while we may still sin after we come to faith, sin no longer reigns in our lives and our perspective on sin is completely changed. During midweek last month, we sat in small group back there with the adults and we had just uh, heard a sermon on God's word and, and we got to talking about how important God's word is to us. And many people spoke up and they talked about how they love to be in their Bibles. They love to hear what God has to say for them. They, they, they lean on God's word. They rest on it. They're, it is their foundation. Do you realize that a love for God's word alone is a sign that you're a new creation? Because God's word stands in direct opposite to sin. You can't be a slave to both. You can't love God's word and love sin because they're in direct opposition. And so for us to sit around that group and talk about how much we love God's word is to say, I don't love sin. I don't love this the way that I used to love it, the way that my old self used to love it when it was my master. You can't delight in both God's word and sin. And when you become a new creation, your delight shifts from one to the other. Author Jerry Bridges states that for the believer, our sin becomes a burden that afflicts rather than a pleasure that delights. Our old self delighted in it. Our new self is afflicted by it. It becomes a plague on our, our lives as Christians. And so because it becomes this plague on our lives, the new creation goes to battle against sin along with the Holy Spirit in order to defeat it. Even if the war is long and difficult and even if we lose some skirmishes along the way, we are going to battle against it. So he's saying, when I fight, I fight on my knees because it's God fighting through me. We're no longer fighting on the side of sin, but we're fighting on the side of the one who is powerful enough to destroy it. Paul describes it perfectly one chapter over in Romans 7, beginning in verse 21. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. And how many times have I said that? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he answers, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That our new master is the one who fights 
with us to pull us out of those old habits and hangups and get us into this new way of life and this new fellowship with God. And so while there may be moments in which we do the things that we don't want to do, as Paul described, or we don't do the things that we do want to do or that we know we should be doing. The battle belongs to the Lord and we are fighting with him. It's a completely different point of view. It's a completely different way of seeing those things that go against God's law. And that's the third thing that happens when you become a new creation. You start seeing things from an entirely new perspective. The world looks entirely different than it used to. This applies to how we see ourselves before God and how we see our sin, but it also applies to how we see the world and more specifically, the people around us. Paul wrote there in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 5, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We see Jesus from a new perspective and we see other people from a new perspective. How do we see Jesus from a new perspective? We stop seeing him simply as a historical figure. We stop seeing him simply as a, a moral teacher as the world would have us believe. A friend of mine that I've been friends with for many, many years, he's not a Christian. We had a conversation a couple weeks ago. Jesus came up in conversation and he said, don't you think that Jesus would be more relatable if he had sinned? He was seeing Jesus from an entirely worldly point of view. See, Jesus didn't come to be relatable, even though he can empathize with us because he was tempted in every way, but was without sin, but he didn't come to be relatable. He came to be the savior of the world, that he couldn't have accomplished what he accomplished if he had broken God's commands, if he had sinned in any way, which he didn't, but it was his worldly way of seeing Jesus. He believes him as a historical figure but not as the Savior and Messiah of the world. Not as the only name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's how we now view Jesus, from this entirely new perspective. And seeing Jesus differently and seeing our own sin differently leads us to see others from a new perspective as well. Not in a worldly way, but from an internal one. From the unborn in the womb to the oldest in the nursing home, we see all humans for who they are, created in the image of their creator and given a soul that is more valuable than all the treasures in the world. And because of this, because we see everybody in this new way, this new light, leading them to a saving relationship with the one who saved us becomes infinitely important becomes the most important thing that we do with our lives. I've shared before that when I encounter someone new, often my first thought is, are they saved or not? Not because I have the ability to judge everyone's relationship with God. I can't see that person's heart and know for sure whether they're saved or not, but it's one of the first questions I ask myself. Because if I suspect they don't have a relationship with Jesus, then I want to start looking at how I can share that with them. How I can have a conversation, looking for God to open doors and windows through which I can, I can tell them about who Jesus is and help change their perspective so that they can come to a saving relationship with him because their soul is infinitely important. It's more important than anything else that they have going on. 
So why do we serve in this church? We serve because we want people to come and have a relationship with Jesus. Yes, I can go out there one Monday a month and help put food in, in cars that will ultimately make its way into their bellies. That's important to feed people and to make sure their physical needs are taken care of. But we do that so that we can make sure that their soul is taken care of. So we can have opportunities to share the gospel, to pray with them, to tell them about who Jesus is. That's why Paul started in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians by stating, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced of these things that we're sharing with other people. I've become convinced that Jesus Christ died for me, that I'm an entirely new creation, that I'm no longer an enemy of God, but a child of God, and that my sin is no longer my master, and my desire is to please God by helping others experience that as well, by helping them see what it is that God can do for them. Paul says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does it mean for us to have the ministry of reconciliation? It means that we have those conversations. It means that we serve not simply to meet a physical need, but to bring them to Christ, to share with them what Christ has done for us, to get them in the water that they might believe and be saved, that they also might be made into a new creation, that dead might be brought to life. That's what it means for us to have this ministry of reconciliation. God has empowered us to do, and he's filled, up the, filled us with the Holy Spirit that we can go out and do it. So we have these things in common as believers, the things that we want to share. We are a new creation. The old is gone. My status before God has changed. I'm no longer a slave to sin, and I see the world, and especially the people around me, in an entirely new way. I've become convinced of these things that are guaranteed to all those who are in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, I'll answer the question, is it okay to keep living as I have? I'll answer it with another question that if I am convinced of these things, then how can I keep living as I have? If these things are a reality for me, then why would I want to keep living as I have? That God has filled me with his Holy Spirit. He's given me a new kingdom. And now we make it our goal, as Paul says, to please him through this ministry of reconciliation that he's given us. Given all of these things that we've talked about, change is inevitable. In fact, I believe that it is impossible for someone who has been genuinely saved through faith in Jesus Christ to continue living as they have. Something has to change if you're convinced of these things. You can't keep living the way that you were. Now, that doesn't mean that all change is going to be immediate and quick, and you're going to be an entirely new person from the very moment that you accept Christ. But the life of a Christian should be marked by continual growth over the rest of our lives. Gradual change as God transforms us from glory to glory. As we make God our priority. All of us who are in Christ should be able to look back over our lives and say, I'm different today than I was back then. However far back that was. Maybe it was 
40, 50 years when you first came to Christ. Maybe it was just a week ago. And you can look back and say, I'm different than I was back then. And here's why. Because this is what God has done for me. He has made me a new creation. He has created something out of nothing, something that was not there before. And it's all God's work. So I ask that question, can you say that? If not, then maybe you're not convinced of these things the way that you should be. Maybe you've not opened up God's word to, to see what it means to be a new creation. You need to go back and reread your passport and see who it is that you are in Christ. And that's the challenge for you today if you're a baptized believer is to go back and remind yourself of these great truths, these great promises of our faith so that you can go out and live differently tomorrow than you did today. Not because it's in the living that saves you, it's in the faith that saves you, but because we make it our goal to please God. And if you're not yet a baptized believer, if you've not yet accepted these realities, then this can be yours. This new creation, this new life, this new way of living, this new hope, all of it can be yours by accepting who Jesus Christ is, by believing in his son, by repenting, and by giving your life in baptism. And yes, your life will look different. It absolutely will. You can't keep living as you have, nor will you want to. But the new life that God gives us is infinitely more valuable than the old life we had. So my encouragement to you is to come. Let's stand up and let's pray. Father, I pray that you would remind us of these truths that we've opened up and seen tonight. That by your word, we would remind ourselves that we are brand new in you. That something has been created that wasn't there and it's something that is entirely of you and from you and by you. And that in this new life, we find hope, we find joy, we find rest, we find freedom. Even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes, Lord, we know that you've given us a new citizenship. And for those who don't yet know that, God, I pray that you would lead their hearts to you only you can awaken a heart to the reality of what you've done. So may you do that now. And may you continue to be glorified as we seek to live differently today than we did yesterday. And as we continue to see others come to relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.